Hi, John. How are you? Hey, Irina. How are you doing? Very, things are good here. Good. Where, where in the world am I finding you today? Uh, I'm actually in Boston, Massachusetts on Lovely. a on a business trip and it's uh, 6.10 in the morning. Yes, so, yeah. it is 6.10 Lo- in the lovely morning. Lovely to chat with you. <laughs> lovely to chat with you. It's 10 past one for me uh, over in Bulgaria. So we have, we're both finding ourselves in different locations from last time. Uh, but hello to everyone who's listening um, to our hybrid chats with uh, John Reardon. Uh, we have these um, every few weeks where we try to uh, bust some myths and clear some misconceptions um, that appear in media and any other forms of um, communications um, about hybrid, about remote, about flexible. You know, there's loads um, out there and, you know, it's hard to uh, make sense of make sense of it all. So we hope we can we can help you sift through um, what's going on. Um, John Reardon is the chairman of um, Pro Remote. Um, so, John, um, you're in Boston this morning. It's 6 a.m. Um, what kind of when you wake up at 6 a.m. in Boston, um, what's on your mind from all the things that have been posted uh, in the world of remote, hybrid and flexible from the last few weeks? Well, I mean, some of this, it's really interesting because in the last couple of weeks, um, you know, we've had uh, the latest report from the WFH um, research folks, Nick Bloom and team. Um, we've had, we've seen, I've seen stories about digital nomad visas. Uh, there are, uh, you know, so many different elements uh, to these stories, but what I'm, what I see is a, a trend in the, um, in some of the, I wouldn't say the financial press, but in some of the business press where people are still looking to, I'm going to use the, I'm going to use the term lightly, but looking to blame remote work for some of the other ills that we're seeing. And what actually, what I would prefer in, to, 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 as a, a rebuttal is actually remote work is the antidote to a lot of the challenges that we're having right now. So, you know, we're in a situation, we're in a time when there's a significant amount of change, amount of flux, and that causes companies to really have a look at their cost base. And one of the ways in which a significant amount of cost can be taken out of an organization is by giving up um, a lease that's due. And what we've seen over the last three years is that it didn't happen automatically. And that doesn't, it doesn't happen automatically in in a time like this because it can't because companies are encumbered with a long-term lease. So as these leases fall due and wind down, and we're seeing companies shedding that cost structure, there are a lot of elements of business, particularly on the the real estate side, who are now crying foul and almost blaming remote work for the challenge, for, for, for what's happening. And actually, it is not the point of blame. It is actually the outcome from the enormous shift that we've seen. No, I completely agree with you. And I think, um, you know, someone might say, oh, but this is John's opinion, um, which he's very much entitled to. But, you know, where is the data to back that up? And some of the numbers that um, came out in the last few weeks um, that stuck with me on the positive side of things, um, I think, show um, a different story. 
So we have a couple of things we saw and we'll share the, the links for each of those. But one was a PwC hopes and fears research, uh, which they ran, um, I believe, earlier this year um, in the UK. And according to the research, 77% of UK employees want a mix of face-to-face and remote work, right? Okay, that's one. Then another one uh, run by a company called Gensler. They did a workplace research in 2022. I think they've been doing these um, for the last couple of years. Um, according to them, 65% of millennials, 66% of millennials and 63% of Gen Zs also would prefer to work remotely than to be assigned a desk somewhere in an office. And what gets even more interesting, out of the Gen Zers, uh, 43% want that sort of flexibility where they can mix up remote and in, in office on a daily basis. So you're not, you're not tied to either. You know, maybe you spend your morning at home and then you go to the office in the afternoon or vice versa. Um, so we have, we have some data to back it. I don't know if you remember, there was this film with Mel Gibson, what women want, where he could all of a sudden hear everything that women wanted in their heads. And this is kind of the same. We don't need to guess what employees want. Like we have these researches done, um, for us. And then from the one that you're talking about, the uh, work from home, um, survey that Nick Bloom, um, does every month. What really stuck with me is that, Employees on average want, would, would choose remote work over an 8% pay increase with people in tech and finance being on like the 10, 11% mark. So clearly we have a bunch of data that yeah. says people don't want to come back to the office. Well, I, I'm, I'm going to synthesize that in a slightly different way. I mean, all of the data is strongly showing that there is a lot of change happening and there's a lot of change in the dynamics. But what I think is really the, the, the thing that's butting heads at the moment is control. Because the, the employees have had uh, a number of years where they've been able to exhibit, uh, they've been able to deliver significant productivity. And even though some people don't uh, read the research and don't look at it, uh, there have been productivity gains fairly significant productivity gains and fairly significant uh, lifestyle benefits uh, on top of productivity gains. And the gen- and I know this is a generalization, but the general employee base, particularly the younger folk, are saying, I'm not going to give those up. You, the employer, have, has benefited for the last three years from those. We as collective are not going to give those up. So much so that in Nick Bloom's research, when they try to ascribe an economic value to it, they were able to get it. And as you, as you just mentioned there, they're you know, between eight and 10% of value. So really we have this challenge at the moment between control and, and how employees are valuing it. And I think the best way to, to kind of, to wrap a bow on, on this point is that, is that in the long run, the employers who ignore the fact that their most important base, the Gen Zers and the millennials, uh, who ignore their behaviors and their 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 beliefs, uh, they will lose employees at a faster rate than um, their their fellow employers. In other words, they're going to there will be migration of the good employees to 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 their competitors, and that's what we're going to see. So, when I hear 
a company talking about a return to work mandate, it's essentially we'd like to bring we'd like to exert back an element of control on the workplace. And I hear the workers leaning back saying, please, no, don't shackle us. What we're looking for is flexibility. What we're looking for is is uh, less constraints on the workplace, not more constraints. So I think what we're seeing is a battle of control. Yes, no, I completely agree with you. And I think um, I want to bring up an example of a company that's actually doing things a little bit differently um, is um, unlike the companies that you mentioned at the beginning, John, is one company which looks at things incredibly differently. It's the um, uh, insurer Allstate um, in the US. And they basically say that flexibility should be part of the value proposition to an employee. And the way they see it is the way we talk about value proposition to a customer, they see employees as customers, where these customers, mm -hmm. what they really want is um, is flexibility. And I found this really interesting way to look at it. Um, what are your thoughts, John? Yeah, I think I think Tom Wilson, who's the CEO of Allstate, has absolutely nailed it. And and you know the stakes are pretty high because this is a large company. I think Allstate's fifty five, sixty thousand employees, and what he has basically said is that um, you know this is you know we we he's he's prior he is putting the employees um in a very significant point of prioritization alongside their customer and that's a very smart smart move um you know they've proven uh all say them uh, along with a lot of other insurers that uh it, having a distributed workforce because many of the employees need to be in the community so they know that the long-term future of the company depends on that social fiber of having people in the community. So I would applaud um, uh, the CEO and say, like he is laying down the pipes, laying down the infrastructure for significant long-term gains. And he's talking about all of the things that are really key to that big, long infrastructure of play. He's talking about um, flexibility. He's talking about co-working sites he's talking about third spaces he's talking about the other things that that similar ceos to tom wilson are are just ignoring and not bringing to the table so i'd say it's uh it's this week we tip the hat to uh to tom wilson from from allstate he's the he's the goat of the week he he absolutely is there was something that stuck with me in 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 the piece which was around this thing create the future rather than follow the trends. And the way they see this is we're not going to mandate anything. We're simply just going to watch what are people doing. So in a way, yeah. it's their own kind of research that they're doing with their employees. They're not asking them. They're just simply observing and based on that, making decisions, which it may sound scary to a lot of other CEOs, but I absolutely think this is this is the way to go. There was one other one other really interesting comment uh, that he made, and you know it's it's a little bit obvious here that I'm going to lean into people whose opinion I actually agree with, but he's backing it up with 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 a lot of data. But the one opinion piece that he threw out there, and he's it's fairly rare that you'll see this from a CEO. He talked about the fact that commuting is way overrated. Now you also have to understand that as a as an insurer, um, 
you know, they, 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 they require people, I suppose, a part of the product that they're insuring is the actual commute itself. So, you know, he's, he's, he's being, he's being relatively brave and, 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 you know, here you have a CEO doing what is, in my opinion, what a CEO should be doing, which is essentially creating the future and, you know, picking a vision as to what the future will be for the company rather than reaching into the past and saying, that is what worked for us back in 2016. And let me try to carry that. Let me try to pull it through and drag it into 2023. Um, I think he's done a very good job and it's going to be, this is one company to keep an eye on to see how they integrate this. And there was a really interesting article in fortune, which we'll have in the notes. Yeah, no, I agree with you completely. And again, the thing that was very interesting is there were no prescriptions. There's no, like, this is what you should do because it's working for us. He's acutely aware of this is going to work for us alone because this is the company, this is the culture, this is all of these dynamics that you spoke about. And in one of the other things that you shared, um, there was an interesting article in CNBC around this magic number of three days in the office. It somehow has become a thing, but then they looked into it and there is no data to back it whatsoever. There is no magic number. But I'm curious, what, what do you make of that, John? Um, again, it's a, like, okay, Henry Ford was the one who, who, who uh, indicated that there was a five-day work week and first did the five-day work week and then it became a 40-hour week. Um, like, the, the, we, we get these constructs in a weird way. I mean, there's a, prior to that, um, work was, was a, it was a six-day work week. And then there's a, in a weird, uh, quite weirdly in the UK, uh, in the, you know, maybe 120 years ago, um, the football games were kicked, were kicked off at three o'clock in the afternoon. And the reason they kicked off at three o'clock in the afternoon was so that all of the, so that the employees could stay at work and they could do a five and a half day work week. So you've had all these issues over the years where you've had the, the timing of when people work are, are based on the weird dynamics that we almost kind of giggle at and laugh at now. So what's actually happened over the last you know, the last period of time is that there's a, a general um, reimagination of what what work is. And, you know, we're, we're realizing that work is not necessarily a place for a lot of companies. It's, it's a product. It's an outcome. And we're also understanding that that it's not fixed in a in a certain box of time. So what that means is that rather than imposing and i'm going back to the control point rather than imposing the will and saying it must be three days it must be four days what i would encourage people to do is learn i would encourage people to to iterate to try things um like who said that everybody wants that people that people are the people want to come into work into a physical office on a tuesday wednesday and thursday and who says they want to come in for the whole day these are constructs that make it easy for somebody in a in a decision making and control position to kind of show that I'm I'm, I'm only giving it a bit. It's kind of a, a little bit of a negotiation. And what I'd like to see is a lot more companies talking to their employees, department by department, division by division, team by team, and working out what works best for the team for that particular team. Some teams will need a lot more collaboration and may well decide themselves that they need to get together more often 
and it may not be in the physical, like the construct of the current office. So how this forms itself over the next couple of years, to me, it's, um, it's a work in progress. Um, and these mandates are probably going to cause companies to lose more employees than gain more employees. I, I completely agree with you, John. And again, Tom Wilson, um, I think can be an inspiration into um, looking looking at that. Um, so to kind of finish things off, um, I'm gonna bring one more thing that um, was in the articles you and I were sharing. And it's a little bit of a different look on flexibility. It's more from the employment side of things, which I found really interesting and keen to hear your thoughts on. Um, so when we talk about flexibility, oftentimes we talk about the location as in, is it work from home? Is it the office? Is it hybrid? Or we talk about the working hours, you know, is it the nine yeah. to five or is it just core hours? But um, um, there is there is another form that can be looked into. That there's another form of flexibility that can be looked into, which um, this article brings up, um, uh, which is it comes from um, the World Economic Forum um, created this um, Good Work Alliance last year in May. Um, and the idea being is they recognized a lot of challenges for the work to be good. And they in turn recognized pillars that can be addressed um, to fix that problem. And one of the things that they found out as a challenge is unequal access to flexible work, which we can completely agree on that is, um, is indeed, a, indeed a challenge. And then when the World Economic Forum meeting happened this year in Davos um, earlier this year, um, they published an article um, showcasing some of the um, examples from companies that are their alliance members um, and what they're doing to address some of these things. And the article was specifically around flexibility. Um, and they were giving an example from one of their members, Unilever. Um, and Unilever is um, instigating something which uh, they call U-Work as an employment model which um, essentially is looking at work um, not as a 40-hour uh, full-time employment thing every week, but rather as a retainer where um, companies pay a certain amount to people and then they commit to doing a certain amount of work, but that's not mm -hmm. necessarily full-time. You know, it could be part-time. So um, I suppose my question for you is, is a couple of questions. One is, from your experience, you've been in the space a long time. Does simply creating alliances like this one, where we say, "Look, we're facing these challenges. Uh, let's do something about them. Become a member." Do you see them as moving the needle? Um, and then, secondly, in in this um, example where we talk about flexible flexible employment models, more so than you know where people work from or or, or the hours that they work from what your what your take um on that is i think it's really important that large organizations like unilever large or large uh, or uh, groupings like the world economic forum are, are taking a really hard look at the future of work and you know they're doing it on the basis of a lot of data which i think is good um, but they're also doing it where the stakes are high for some of these very large, large companies. So, you know, to, to bring in, you know, these what they call the five pillars uh, of good work um, to for for me, 
when I look back five years ago, it, it's almost incomprehensible that somebody would actually be saying that one of those pillars of work is the provision of a flexible and protected workforce. And one of the points that they make in the article, which I found really interesting, is that um, in the past, the, the, the belief was that you provided flexibility to, to people who had, you know, um, who had caring obligations. Okay, and there was there had to be an issue as to what to why you provided flexibility, and I think they're flipping this nicely, which is no, no, a pillar of a really good work practice of a really good company is to provide that flexibility uh, right up front and provide that level of protection right up front that you can choose to a certain extent the the you know essentially how many days how many days you're going to work and in, in, in which place you're going to work. Um, and I, again, this goes back to a point I made originally. This is a very smart way to, to uh, look at the control of the work product. And it has to be a balance between employer and employee. It has to be. It's the, it's the smart way to go. And so this is a, this is a really interesting, the, the, the five pillars of good work framework um, is an excellent bit of research. I would encourage people to read it. Yeah, absolutely, and and we'll, we'll we'll definitely we'll definitely share it. And then in terms of you know the specifics of um, because it was one thing that they were saying interestingly in the piece is, and this was before giving the example mm -hmm. of Unilever is flexible work is in one shape or form a part time work, which I found really interesting as a statement because. And again, this is me judging from my own views and my own experience, but I work full time. I just happen to choose where I do the work from and what hours of the day I do that from uh, or during. And it's about bringing, you know, completing my projects. So for me, it's like it doesn't necessarily have to equal flexible. It doesn't. Flexible work doesn't necessarily need to equal part-time work. So I think this is where I slightly stumbled and I'm not fully sure that I agree with, but maybe it's, it's opening my mind as well. It's like, well, this is, you know, another form of flexibility. You know, you're happy to work full-time, but other people want to work less time. And then when we get into the nitty-gritty of how you do that from purely legal perspective, employment, um, does that come with certain employee rights and benefits? Um, because as we know, usually fixed term contracts have to do with con contractors, which tend to not come with any um, employee rights uh, benefits and such. So maybe this is a hybrid employment model, which we're yet to figure out as well, that actually there's a lot of demand for. Well, I think what it actually does, Irina, is it it's making the the meta point here that we haven't landed with a solution what we've landed with is an array of potential solutions and i think this is not going to be a mandate from a henry ford that there will be a five-day week five-day 40-hour week it, it's not going to happen like that it's going to become quite individualized it's going to be uh, quite personalized by company almost and that's why I think we'll see in the next couple of years, we'll see the, the progressive companies 
um, stating their their mission and their intentions as to what they are going to aim to be, as opposed to what they are going to demand employees do. And in the in the the, the greater talent battle, um, I think I would back the companies that are going to lay really good infrastructure and from a mission perspective those companies will be more attractive and i think the you know from a from a talent perspective they'll win i think that's an excellent conclusion to our hybrid chat today john thank you so much for everything uh and all the opinions and all the myth busting um again as mentioned at the start um, if um, you, um, as uh, consumers of this, um, come across interesting articles, research, opinions, data, whatever it is, on flexibility, remote, hybrid, and all that, please uh, share with us on LinkedIn, tag myself, John, both, um, and we'll definitely address it uh, next time. Um, and Irina, meantime, I'd, I'd, lo I'd love... I'd love for people to throw in their their uh, comments as well. I mean, you just, don't just forward an article or share an article. Um, put your spin on it as well. We've got to keep this conversation going um, because there are a lot of voices. And just because I'm spouting one particular side of it does not necessarily mean that is the voice. Um, and I want to I want to learn from this, and I want to hear people who have level who have expertise, domain expertise in certain areas. Who, if you think I'm talking absolute bullshit about a particular point, take me on, show the data, and let's have a really good discussion. And I'd love to raise some of those, um, I mean, not controversies, but some of those. If we if we if we disagree and stuff, let's let's have a, a forum where we can discuss it. Absolutely agreed with you. We 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 always we we don't want just the choir singing to us. Definitely, if uh, just as my mind was a bit opened after reading the World Economic Forum and around employment models, um, same same can be for something else. So yes, throw us your ideas, your thoughts, your opinions. We we definitely would love to hear them. Take care, John. Bye. Take care. Thank you. <laughs>